Open your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 16. Judges, chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning. Judges, chapter number 16. We're continuing our study in the book of Samson. And we'll be here for a few more weeks. So this is where the Lord has us, and we're going to park here and enjoy it while we're, while we're here. And it's amazing to me. Just I have been so blessed myself as I have studied through this and through his life and become more, I think, than at any other time ever have I realized what a gift these four chapters of Scripture are because they take a man who is iconic. I mean, I mean Samson is iconic. And yet in his life we see ourselves, reflections of our own faults and failures. And the gift to us is that I can find me in these chapters. And I can learn from what I find on how God wants me to change. And so here we are. Chapter 16 of the book of Judges, let's begin reading in verse 23. And the lords of the Philistines gathered themselves together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God, and to rejoice, for they said, Our God hath delivered Samson our enemy into our hand. Now let me just stop. Why did they go to the temple of Dagon? Because Dagon, part of his Part of his mythological personality was he was the god of crops. Well, what had Samson done? He had gathered together 500 foxes and tied their tails together with firebrands and set them through the crops, and it literally devastated the crops of the Philistines. I mean, it, it, it major league wounded their economy. And so it was an embarrassment to them. Where was Dagon when this guy was going nuts, letting foxes through our, through our fields? He, he destroyed our, our, our crop. Where was Dagon? Now, now Samson has lost his eyes. <clears throat> and so in a show of ultimate victory to them, they bring Samson to the temple of Dagon and say, okay, you, you may have gotten one up on Dagon to start with, but look what's happened to you. So that's where they are, and that's why they're there. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, verse 25, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad, that had him by the hand, suffer me now that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, for I may lean, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which uh, it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which slew in his life. And then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtil in the burying place of Manoah his father. And he judged Israel twenty years. Father, help us now, open our eyes, give us the things, dear God, that you would have for us today. Speak to our hearts in the name of Christ our Savior. We ask these things. Amen. When I was a kid, not too many years ago, in fact, there's still, honestly, some kid in me, but I, I loved reading comic books. Oftentimes, my mom would give me lunchroom money, and 
I would sacrifice the food, and if you ate at the lunchrooms that I did, you would understand that wasn't a great sacrifice. But I decided, do I want to spend this money on what they're cooking there, or do I want to wait till I go back home, on the bus drops me off at the convenience store down the road uh, from my house, and find out what new comics have just been released. And so it was a no-brainer for me. I didn't need to eat. There would be peanut butter and jelly. And what could you possibly eat better than a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And there were comic books waiting on me. And so I would oftentimes spend my money on comic books. Now I want to remind you that this was back in the day when comics weren't dark. Batman was not the dark knight. He wasn't a weirdo that sat up in the shadows trying to determine whether he was good or bad or somewhere stuck in between. Batman was a hero. This was in the day when comic books weren't sensual. They, they weren't vulgar in their content or, or in their picture. And they weren't filled with all sorts of morbid undercurrents. Okay. It's a different day. And it reflected a different culture that, that we grew up in. The superheroes were all good. Okay, there was, there was Peter Parker, the kid that got bit by a radioactive spider and all of a sudden he could climb the walls. And every kid back in that generation dreamed that somehow we could climb a wall. There were some serious injuries as kids tried to live out. Then, then there, was the, there was the old aluminum galvanized garbage can lids with the built-in handle behind them, and you would just imagine that, that it was red, white, and blue, and, and you were Steve Rogers, you were the man, you were Captain America, you were fighting off the Red Skull and Adolf Hitler and all of his Nazi cohorts. And then, oh my word, the iconic, iconic, incredible Sergeant Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos. And I won't take the time, but I could name every one of them right now. I lived for Sergeant Fury comic books. Just amazing. There was, of course, then, the hero that everyone knew of. Everybody, regardless of who you were or where you were, he was the first one to make TV. Clark Kent would step into a a phone booth and amazingly come out with a red cape, the big S on his chest, and Superman was there to save the world. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. He was best described as the man of steel, Superman. But even Superman had a weakness, didn't he? It was a strange green crystalline type of, of uh, substance that came from his home planet, Krypton. Now many of you, look, you, you don't get this at the average church. So I know, I mean, you're taking notes now. It's like, dude, this is rich. This, this is deep. So just stay with me, all right? So it came from his home planet, Krypton, and it let off some sort of strange, unique type of a radiation that when Superman got near kryptonite, as it was called, he suddenly lost his strength. He lost his power. He became so weak that he, that he lay on the floor and, and, and he was no longer invincible once he was exposed to kryptonite. All of his superpowers were ultimately robbed by that green substance. Now, if we were just starting out on Samson's story here, if we, if, if we had just picked up the narrative today, and this, this is the very first message about, about Samson, and, 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 and we started in chapter 16, and we read the verses that we read, we would have started at the end of the story. And so here we find our superhero buried beneath rubble. His body is limp. His body is like that of any other man. He has no superpowers. He has no strength. The reality of the matter is, 
our hero, Samson, lies dead. And so the question that would come to our mind, what is it? What is it that brought him here? We would have to go in reverse and start sweeping from that tragic moment beneath the rubble of the Dagon temple. We'd have to go back in life and begin to pick up the, 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 the evidence and, and the smatterings of events in his life to determine what it was that took him from being the iconic Samson, a man who picked up the pillars of a city gate and carried them 40 miles on his shoulders. And now, that guy who feared no one, who was never intimidated by any single person, who did not know the meaning of reverse, now he lies breathless, dead beneath that temple. What was his kryptonite? What brought him down that day in that pagan temple? What, what was it that, that brought him to the place? And, and I think as we traveled backwards, there would be things said. Perhaps it seems from the beginning of chapter 14, verse 1, and as we move down through his story, his kryptonite was his lust for women. Surely, surely that must be it. He had an, he had an insatiable appetite for women of the world in particular because he was always going down to Timnath or Gaza or someplace and finding a Philistine who had not the moral boundaries of the Jewish girls. There was no commitment required. They would commit themselves uh, in, in an in a illicit manner and, and, and there was nothing that tied them together. It was just the fulfillment of his insatiable desires, wherever he found it. So it, it, it had to have been his lust for women. Or others might be more specific, and they might say, I know what his kryptonite was, it's Delilah. Let's just get real specific. She has a name. Interesting thing, by the way. The only woman out of all, even his own mother, the only woman who is named in the entire narrative of Samson is Delilah. No other name is given. The girl in Gaza, you don't know his wife's name. You don't know his mother's name. The only name that comes up is Delilah. So perhaps, perhaps the kryptonite of, of, of Samson's life was Delilah. He finally met his match when he fell in love with Delilah. Maybe some would stand on a hillside and watch his rage as he murders 30 men and, 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 and strips the clothes off of their body simply to go back and pay a bill that he had made through a gambling debt, so to speak, at a drunken party in Timnath. Maybe it was that, maybe it was that he was so out of control of his emotions that he could, that he could travel 25 miles from Timnath down to Astaroth, murder 30 men, put him in his, his bag, so to speak, bring him back and pay his bill and, and be done. And then, and then the rage of the crops and then the rage of the, of the hillside and, and, and it just seemed like he was always flying off the handle and getting even time and time again. You did this to me, so I'll do this to you. So he's always getting even, always striking back. Maybe his unbridled passions were the kryptonite of the strong man Samson. But I think if we could purchase for him a tombstone, and we could somehow etch upon it a fitting verse of Scripture that might better sum up his life than any small epitaph that you and I might pen, you know, here lies the strong man. You know, here lies the hero. No, if we could pick a scripture verse and have it etched deeply upon that stone, I think that Proverbs 16, verse 18 would be the epitaph that we would choose for Samson. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Now, what are the two words that are the key words in that verse of scripture? One is pride and the other is haughty. What is pride? Pride, pride is when you think uh, yourself better than others. Haughtiness 
is when you elevate yourself above others. So pride is thinking, haughtiness is doing. Pride is, I think I'm better than you. Haughtiness is, I'm going to prove I'm better than you. Pride is, pride is I, I consider myself to be superior to you. Haughtiness is, I'm going to take actions that are going to embarrass you and humiliate you and elevate me. I will show you that I am actually better than you. And so I want to suggest to you today, dear friend, that, that Delilah was not Samson's kryptonite. Pride was. Pride. If Samson had a weakness, it was in his own self-absorption. If Samson had a weakness, it was in his own self-reliance, his own self-assuredness, his self-confidence. If Samson had a weakness, it's simply the fact that he was the man, knew he was the man, lived as though he was the man, and thought that being the man would carry him throughout his life successfully. First of all, I want to make some statements about pride. And first of all, I want to say this. Pride can make us feel invincible. Now, we're looking at the life of Samson. Remember, it's a gift to us. It's a gift that we can see what happened in Samson's life and somehow figure out how that applies to our life. So this isn't a Bible story. If it is, you need to choose another one. Okay? Because Samson being crushed and tearing a lion in shreds, you know, and killing 30 men and taking the jawbone of ass and caving the skulls in of a thousand, it's probably not a good thought for your child to go to, you know, to sleep. And I, it's sort of like me suggesting I, I wouldn't right before my child went to sleep, I probably wouldn't watch Jurassic Park. Okay? I remember my grandson, when he first saw it, and, and a dinosaur grabbed a man, he said out loud, he said, look, Daddy, dinosaur eat man. And so that's a simple thought, but it's probably not the last thought you want during the day. So this isn't a good bedtime story. So why is it here? It's here so that you and I can learn how to live our life in an un-Samson-like manner. Pride makes us feel invincible. Now, stay with me for a moment, because I want to give you sort of a generality. Could I do that? Would you let me just make a general statement? Here's a general statement. Gifted people often come to a place to where they realize they're uniquely talented in whatever area that God has talented them in, gifted them in. So here's a gifted person. They've got talent in a certain area, and, and they become aware of it. You know why they become aware of it? Because people are always telling them, you're gifted, you're gifted, you're gifted, you're gifted. And, and the problem is perfume smells good, but you ought not swallow it. And, 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 and so here, here is somebody that's gifted, and here's somebody that's gifted, and they swallow the perfume, and they begun to think of themselves as being, I'm gifted. It's like somebody that has some particular perception, and somebody says to him, you're a thinker. Really? Yeah, you're a thinker. And then somebody else says, hey, you know what? You're a thinker. I am? Yeah. And then somebody else says, you're a thinker. You're a thinker. And they keep hearing they're a thinker. You know what happens? They start thinking they're a thinker. And you know what happens when a person thinks he's a thinker? He, he thinks less. Because he, he rests in trust in his thinking rather than in following obedience in simplicity to God. And he begins to think outside of the box. The most dangerous thing in the world is when you begin to buy in on the things that people are saying about you. If you have any thoughts that are worthwhile, they come from God. They're not your own philosophy. And, your, and so rather than recognizing the grace of God, they begin to write their own press releases. And sooner or later, look at me, in our day and age, you know what happens? They wrap themselves in celebrity status. You've been reading the news lately? Have you seen how many celebrity pastors across this nation have fallen flat on their face? Do you know how many guys are resigning their churches? Atlanta, California, New Zealand. Do you, know how, do, you, do you know what's happening in America? What's happening in America is pride. 
We've, we, we've, become, we've become celebrities. Rather than Paul saying, uh, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, and of you, my brethren. No, no, no. Now what happens is we now wrap ourselves in our, in our, in our status of celebrity pastor, and we, 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 listen to me, we put on a show that replaces Johnny Carson and, and, and Carol Burnett and all the other, all the other uh, you know, variety shows, and, and people come to church, and we got a show going on there, and guess who happens to be, guess who happens to be the celebrity in the spotlight, center stage, it's us. We've lost our way. Promoter, celebrity, and fan all rolled into one tidy human being. Well, Samson knew that he was special, okay? He, how could he not? He, wait a minute. He's the only man in all of the Bible that was chosen by God, chosen by God, not voluntary, chosen by God for a Nazarite vow from, from birth, in fact, from the womb. His mother wasn't supposed to drink anything inappropriate. You, you, we don't even want you taking it because he's in your womb. We don't want it getting through you into him. He was chosen by God from the womb until the day of his death to be a Nazarite. No one else was ever called in that manner. And, and so he was chosen by God. And, and, and what happened is, here's this guy given this gift of strength, you know, we, we grab the pulpit when we go to load it or unload it. We grab it and hike it up on one hip, you know. We put it here, and we, we carry it. We sort of walk like this with the pulpit because the pulpit. You know what Samson would have done? He'd have said, boys, load the trailer. When the trailer was loaded, he would have picked the trailer up and carried it over there. Wouldn't have to hook it up to my truck. He'd have carried the trailer. The, listen to me. The guy was strong. But in the strength of his gift, he became convinced that he was special. He became convinced that he was, he was bulletproof. And if he was bulletproof, then, then he was above the consequences of his actions. Look at me. Please listen to me. None of us are. You're not bulletproof. You're not bulletproof. I'm not bulletproof. We're not rocks. We're pebbles. That's all we are. We're just... We're just pebbles. We're, we're, we're not a rock. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not a superman. We're not bulletproof. We're not above the consequences. We all are subject to them. And his gift, by the way, had gotten him out of trouble so many times before. Think about that. His gift had gotten him out of trouble. I mean, dude, he just, he's up and at him. She ties his hair to a beam. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. What does he do? He jumps up and, and pulls the beam with him. Ties his hands with new ropes. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He pops them. He pops the, 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 the new rope. L listen to me. We're going to get him as soon as he steps out of the gates of the city. All right, I won't step out of the gates of the city. I'll carry the gates of the city with me. Every single time he was in trouble, his gift got him out of trouble. And so because of that, now, thinking himself to be bulletproof, he sleeps with his head in the lap of Delilah. And I'm going to just tell you, my dear friend, you can mark this down. There's a Delilah. And I don't, it doesn't have to be a woman. I'm simply saying there is, there is a comfort zone in sin where you can curl up and sleep well if you don't recognize that you're not bulletproof and you need God's help and God's strength in your life. I've said this so many times, sin makes you stupid. Okay, That word stupid comes from a Greek word that means stupioto. So listen, it just, it does, it makes you, sin makes you stupid. You do dumb things when you're sinning. You do stupid things when you're sinning. And, and, and here's Samson. Are you kidding me? <clears throat> Listen to the first words out of her mouth. I, I know there were other words, but these are the first recorded words because God's jumping. God's just getting right into it. Let's, let's, get, let's, let's cut to the chase. So here's what God does. God says, let's, let's cut to the chase. Here's the first thing recorded in the Bible that she says to Samson. Tell me the secret of your strength. Dude, can you, you think maybe... 
You think maybe she might be hired out? You think there could be? Why does she want to know that? Why, why is she asking you your secrets between you and God? Well, you think possibly, you know what? Not a blimp on the radar to Samson. He just barges on ahead in his life. And I want to tell you that, listen to me, pride will make you comfortable in places where your soul should be deeply disturbed. It will lull you into closing your eyes, and then it will take your eyes from you, just like it did Samson. Pride can make you feel invincible. Number two, pride can make us feel self-sufficient. Notice chapter 15, verse 16. You know what Samson has just got through doing? He got through killing a thousand men. Now, now, now come on. Okay, so he picks up the jawbone of an ass, and, and he just starts fighting guys. There's a thousand of them on a hillside. When it's over with, when it's over with, there's a thousand guys laid dead around him. Okay? Thousand guys he kills. He doesn't have an Uzi, doesn't have an AK. He's got a jawbone. And he kills a thousand guys. And this is what he says. This is what he says in his summary of all of it. Chapter 15, verse 16. And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, have I. He's got eye trouble. Have I slain a thousand men? Chapter 14, the first verses, what did he do? He ignored the wise counsel of his parents. You know why? He's self-sufficient. I don't need mom and daddy. <laughs> They've lived longer than me, and they raised me. But you know what? I've outgrown. Uh, they're good people, really. No, they, they're good people. Mama cooks a bad pancake. I mean, I'm talking bad as in the sense of good bad. Her pancakes are delicious, and I love, I love her steaks and, and her, her uh, roast beef and gravy. It's amazing. Mom's a good lady, but I don't need mama helping me anymore. No, no, Samson, you really need them bad. You think you know more than you know. No, no, you're doing stupid things, Samson. You're, you're doing stupid things. God's gifted you. He's called you to free your people, and you're going down to Timothy. No, no, no. You need your mom and daddy. But he's self-sufficient. And so his pride excludes the wisdom of his parents and excludes the Word of God. And you know what his pride did? His pride stepped him dead center of the stage. Here's Samson. Where is he? He's center stage. Read it. Four chapters. Samson's center stage of everything that happens. Well, what happened there? Samson. Well, what happened there? Samson. Well, who caused this? Samson. Well, why did this happen? Samson. Center stage, chapter 14. Center stage, chapter 15. Chapter 16, center stage. He's going to die. Where's he at? Center stage. It, it, pride excludes God and, and puts us dead center of the stage Samson thought he was enough. Look at me. You're not enough. Let me help you. You're just not enough. All your skills, all your knowledge, everything you've gathered, all of the things you know, everything you've accumulated in your journey of life. Can I help you with this? You and I. Dean and you. You're not enough. <laughs> you're, you're not enough. You better get help. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Guess what? Break a branch and the vine remains. Okay? Prune a branch, the vine hangs on. Still produces. Grows more vines. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Listen to this statement of this, this verse. For without me... Ye can do nothing. You know what nothing is? It's a zero. No, that's a zero. That's not nothing. If you've got a zero, you don't have nothing. You've got a zero. You know what nothing is? It's a zero with the circle erased. Ain't nothing there. It's gone. It's empty. So Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. And if you take the vine away from the branch, you know what you got? Zip. You got nothing. So I, we, we, we ought never forget that. Hey, Dean, you know, in all your knowledge and all of your strength, what are you? Nothing. 
What about your skill set? Nothing. I don't care who you are or how strong you think you are, Samson. Really, without him, you have nothing. You bring nothing to the table. If God wasn't there, he would have been crushed by a thousand Philistines on a hillside. If God wasn't there, the lion would have tore him to shreds. If God wasn't there, he'd have never took those 30 men in their clothes. If God wasn't there, he'd have died long time before the temple of Dagon. So without, without him, we are nothing. Third thing is that pride can make us feel superior. Okay, now, now, now superior means in comparison to others, okay, around us. So every word he utters, every move he makes, he, you know what, everything he says, there's a swagger to it, okay? So we're not dealing with Woody Allen here, for those of you my age, okay? Sitting Woody Allen, hallelujah for that. This is John Wayne. Okay, this, this isn't Woody Allen. This isn't a guy trying to get in touch with his feminine self. This is a guy that kicks his way through life and stares you in the eye. And you know when you look in his eyes, there's no backup in him. You either step out of the way or he walks through you. That's Samson. Everything he says, everything he does, there's a, there's a swagger about it. And, and, and he is the man, and nobody knows that better than he does. And, but the problem is, Samson wasn't a self-made man. He was a God-made man, but he forgot that. And he thought his gifts were his own. And about what he could do. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. Would you do that? Jump in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote and said in verse, chapter 4, verse 6, watch this. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. Would you read that again? That ye learn to think of men above that you learn not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up one for one against another. For who maketh thee to, to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not uh, receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? You know, God's saying to the church at Corinth, nobody in this church is better than anybody else in this church. You got money? Where'd you get it from? God. You got talent, where'd you get it from? God. You got skill set, where'd you get it from? God. So if, you, if, if everything you've got, somebody gave you, God gave you, then who are you to make yourself feel better about yourself in comparison? Why do you feel superior over others? That's exactly what he's saying. Isn't it alarming how we can somehow get puffed up over and prideful over spiritual things? The church at Corinth was bragging about who baptized them. In 3 John, Diotrephes was so stuck on an ego trip that he, he abused and, and separated himself from people that did not fuel his ego. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus warns about giving to be praised by men and praying to be admired by men and fasting to be seen of men. Look, giving and praying and fasting are all good things, but if they're done in the wrong way, it's all about you, not about him. And so Jesus is warning that. Just listen, never forget this truth. You're a sinner saved by grace. If you're saved, you're a sinner saved by grace. We're all sinners saved by grace. So there's nothing to get really puffed up about. Why? Because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. There's no need for pride, and yet it's our kryptonite. Let me say number four, and this is important. Pride can blind us to the warnings. Now I want you to think with me for a moment. Here, here's the deal. Because God loves you and because God loves me, when I travel down a path that I shouldn't be on, I'm, I'm, I make a wrong turn. I'm traveling down a path that I shouldn't be on. You know what God does? God puts between me and the direction I'm going in, a warning. It could be a message at church. It could be a loved one that puts their arm around you and says, you know, you've, I've been noticed you've been missing a little bit lately. What's happening in your life? 
In Samson's case, he's Tim nothing back, Tim nothing back, Tim nothing back. Philistine women in the back, Philistine women in the back. So, so he, he, he made a bad turn in his life. Chapter 14, verse 1. In chapter 13, verse 25, the Spirit of God said, Don't, 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 don't do it. But chapter 14, verse 1, he goes his way anyhow. Watch this. On his way, a young lion stands in his path. Now, the lion does not attack him. That's significant. He hasn't been attacked by a lion. He's been roared at by a lion. Okay? I was hunting one time up in the Trinities, came down around a little rock cropping there, and was literally from me to Georgia from the biggest. Now, I'm talking big. Okay? In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say it's the biggest mountain lion that has ever lived. Clear in my memory. Dude, I mean, we were just standing there. I thought it was a Clydesdale. Anyhow, so we're looking eye to eye. I've got my rifle. I've got my 45 on my hip. I should have slipped my... He's looking at me. I'm staring him in the eyes. He's not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. Adrenaline is roaring through me. I don't know what adrenaline's doing to him, but it's just coursing through me. He moves off to the right, and I get one shot. Ernie, I should have you up here telling your story. But anyhow, Ernie kills a lion in mid-flight with an arrow. True story. But anyhow, so, so he's Samson. I'm Woody Allen. But anyhow, so, so this lion is there. So, so I, all I'm going to just say this. I wasn't going to lay my guns down and walk up and say, Here, kitty, kitty. Okay. <laughs> There's a problem there. There's a lion. You know what that lion said to me? I wouldn't really continue. I stopped walking. I'm out of eye with a lion. So, so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay. Okay, we, we came to a stopping point in this hunt right now. All right? Samson is going on his way, and suddenly there's a lion there, and, 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 and it doesn't attack him. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a warning. And by the way, if you read that, it seems so out of place. What is this doing in this narrative? <laughs> it makes, okay, he's walking around, there's a lion. What, what sense does that make in the narrative? It makes every bit of sense because God is saying to Samson, stop. Don't take another step, turn around. And by the way, it's not the only time that God's used lions in the Bible. Um, 1 Kings chapter 13. Prophet cries against the altar of uh, uh, Jeroboam, and, and then compromises, a lion comes. You know, um, 1 Kings chapter 20, uh, a prophet refusing to obey the word of God, God sends a lion. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, it, it's, it's speaking metaphorically, but Jeremiah said, Wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them, talking about the compromising leaders of Israel, he said, God will send the lion. So it, this is not an unusual picture of God sending lions against uh, uh, disobedient prophets and leaders. And so here's a lion roaring at him. Well, what was his response? I'm going to shred it. So rather than turning around and walking back, he goes up to the lion, invites the fight, and rips it apart with his hands. And isn't it fascinating that he didn't tell his parents? Now, I want to tell you right now, listen to me. Had I killed that lion up in the Trinity Mountains, you could come over my house and see it on the wall. I was mounting that bad boy. The whole body. I'm serious, tail to nose, whiskers included, you could have seen my mountain lion on the wall at my house, and, and I would, if you came to visit me, I'd have took you back there. I'm going to show you my lion. Have you seen my lion? Anybody see my lion? I'll have it in my wallet on my phone. Here's my lion. He didn't tell anybody. Do you know why? Because his parents would have said, really? Samson, what do you think maybe God's saying to you? Are you kidding me? There was a lion? Is there a message in that for you? Samson didn't kill the lion in self-defense. He killed it in spiritual defiance. By the way, can I remind you of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God 
is faithful, who will not suffer to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes we get so caught up in the situation. Sometimes we're so locked in on our direction. Sometimes we are so, we are so engaged with what's going on in our life. We don't look for the escape, but God said it's there. If you're under attack and you're being tempted, there is a way of escape, and I've made it. Look for it, because you'll find it. It's there. Samson didn't check his options out. And here's the danger. Here's the danger. When we become calloused to the warnings of God, the danger is that we will ultimately become desensitized to Him. Because, because in chapter 16, verse 20, when, when he had his hair cut, he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. So now, now it's, it's go time, and he doesn't even know the Lord's departed from him. Let me quickly just say, pride can make us devalue what God gives us. She was blunt with her intentions. Tell me, tell me what your strength is. But he toyed with it. Rather than appreciating and saying, God gave me this, listen to me, he toyed with it, and he throws it around like a rubber ball. They play three games. This is my strength, this is my strength, this is my... Finally, she says, you know, I've asked you three times, you've lied to me three times, you don't really love me, and she began to really bear down on him. Do you know why? Because, and we'll talk about it in another message, but there was a whole lot of money, I mean, listen, a whole lot of money on the line. She was for sale. And he plays with the gift. What's God given you? What is it that you're devaluing? See, Samson cared more about himself and his own lust than he did about the gift that God had given you. Maybe it's a mate. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a relationship with mom and dad. What, what, is it, what is it that you have devalued in your life in order to make yourself happy? Now let me close. Let me, let me just take a moment and, and give you some good news. There is an antidote to pride. It's called humility. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. And before honor is humility. So what becomes before destruction? What precedes destruction? Haughtiness. Well, what is it that leads then to honor? Humility. Before honor is humility. The Bible says in James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know what God does to the proud? Arm's length. You see, what pride will do for you is it will separate you and God. You, you won't be near and you can't hear. You won't be near and you can't hear what God is saying in your life. Pride, pride carries the idea, if you'll study the Word, it carries the idea of getting high up to elevate yourself. Humility carries the, exo- the, the exact opposite. It carries the idea of, of getting low. We see that in... John 13, Jesus is meeting with his disciples before the crucifixion. In fact, it's, 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 it's at the meeting where he's going to give the Lord's Supper. He's going to observe the Passover. And you know what he does before, before, before that happens? It says, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel, girding himself. And after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. You see, true humility is, is, um, is, is, is not really found in thinking less of yourself. That's not what humility is about, it's thinking less about yourself. It's that you're not center stage. And so here's Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. So do you want to be like Samson? Well, if you do, then just live for yourself and grab the jawbone of an ass and 
just bust anybody that gets in your way. But if you want to live like Jesus, you're going to have to bend the knee. You're going to, you're going to have to bend the knee. Philippians 2 verse 7 is one of the most staggering verses in the Bible. But he made himself of no reputation. He wasn't concerned about his reputation. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Think about the day that we're reading about. Emperors and pharaohs and kings, they built large edifices in their name. They lived in gargantuan palaces and sat upon ornate thrones. They, they, like Caesar Augustus, Octavius was his real name, but he calls himself Caesar Augustus. He chooses for himself an elaborate name and declares himself to be a God-man. The big title, the big name, the big position. But Jesus came small. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. There's reason for that. Small manger, small setting. Where did he grow up? In the small home of a small man called Joseph. Just a simple carpenter. The reality of the matter is Jesus wasn't concerned about impressing anyone. He came small rather than big. Chapter 13 of that chapter of John about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, he said, if I then be your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Here's the key words of that. If I, if, if I, ye also. If I, yeah, ye also. Why did he do that? So that he could give us another ordinance for the church. No, He's teaching us an example. If I, ye also. Watch me. Do, do what I do. If, if I would do this to you, if I would bend the knee to you, if, if, I would, if I would get down in humility and wash the feet of my disciples, how much more should you, if I, ye also. That's what he's teaching us. So I close with this. Who bends the knee in your home? No, I want you to answer that. Not out loud, but I want you to answer it. Who, who bends the knee in your home? And, and don't think that I haven't asked myself this question. In my house, in my family, in my marriage, who bends the knee? Is it that somehow that I am so important and, 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 I, and I, I am... I am have been given such an elaborate position by God that, that everybody bends the knee to me? Now, who, 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 who bends the knee in your marriage? Listen to me carefully. As long as we expect people to bend the knee to us, we are nothing like Jesus. Nothing. We're just not like Him at all. You want to save your marriage? Bend the knee. You want to strengthen your marriage? Bend the knee. You want to deepen a friendship? Bend the knee. You want, to, you want to help your church? Bend the knee. You want to be like Jesus? Then bend the knee. Do you know why the story of Samson leaves us so sad and empty? I mean, I'm studying this. For weeks I've been in this. That's why I have to ride my motorcycle is to get out of it. Get some fresh air. Like, Good night, this guy. You know why it leaves us so empty? Because there is not one single instance in the entire narrative where Samson serves anyone but himself. Every scene is Samson. Everything that happens is about Samson. He doesn't bend the knee to his parents. He doesn't bend the knee to his people. He doesn't bend the knee to his God. Brad Gray wrote a great book about Samson, and this is his statement. He said, he is the quintessential Example of pride, and pride bends the knee to no one. So who will it be, Samson or Jesus? Will you lift yourself up 
or make yourself small? Will you rage your way through life, leaving a swath of bruised people and broken lives in your wake? Or will you grab a basin, a towel, and bend the knee? At the end of his washing of the disciples' feet in John 13, he makes a statement. Powerful statement. He says, and if ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. You see, the, the happy life, the happy life is found on bended knees. Not on a hillside with a jawbone in your hand. Let's bow our heads, could we? Who bends the knee in your life, in your home? See, humility, we could put it this way, is the kryptonite of pride. <laughs> pride was the kryptonite of Samson. Humility is the kryptonite of pride. It kills it. Boy, don't we all struggle? Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. We all struggle with wanting our way, our, our happiness. If you want to live like Jesus, you'll have to bend the knee. Dear Father, we all have one thing in common, and that is that pride is our kryptonite. It's the thing that takes us further from you, and it leads to all other sins. Every other sin, somehow, some way, can be linked to our self-sufficiency and our pride. I pray, dear God, that we would bend the knee and serve others while we live more like Jesus. Help us, Lord, I pray. We're weak people, but we need your strength to do so. In the name of Christ, we ask these things. Amen.